This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn DeGeek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Sarah Evers Conrad from Lexington, Kentucky. And you are listening to the monthly Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 22nd. This is a special episode of Horses in the Morning every fourth Tuesday of the month, brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Good morning, Horse World. The fourth Tuesday of every month is all about your passion for horses. Nurture your knowledge with informative and entertaining interviews brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back. Sarah, it's good to have you back. And you always bring us the most intriguing guests. And today is no exception, is it? Oh, yes. I'm looking forward to it. We will be talking to Kogi Long, president of Equine Affair, for a preview of Equine Affair Ohio, and to Emily and Sarah Harris of Sisters Horsing Around about their journey with their adopted Mustangs, and Eric Bendick, who is the writer and producer of Nature America's Horses, which is set to air on PBS this Wednesday night. Yeah, so you're going to want to set your DVRs for that, PBS Wednesday night. Uh, you got a preview of a Nature America's Horses, right? Yes, and it's well worth it, and it's an hour show, and, you know, Nature's always a beautifully shot show, but, you know, if you love horses, this is this will make you happy. So, And they cover, uh, you know, the various breeds in the United States. Um, they focused on four of them. So it's not just Mustangs, then? Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, I can't wait to talk to him. I always like talking to producers. They're they're so much fun, and they always give you a little bit of background that you didn't know. So I always love talking to producers. Well, yeah, it's always fascinating to see how they do their jobs, and you know why they get into the projects they do, and uh, you know how if someone doesn't have experience with horses, how they how they get into a project with horses. When you guys have something brand new coming out soon, can I? Are we allowed to mention it now? Yes, yes. We kind of mentioned it last month. We were very involved with working on the youngrider.com website, and it should be launching in the next week. So stay tuned and keep checking, and you will know when it switches over because it will be a very colorful site. And we really want kids to come and enjoy all the different activities they can do on there and all the information about horses and uh it is, be- it is very well done. I got to do a sneak preview of that one, and it is so well done. It really is. The, your web designer didn't, and you, I think you were working on it, a bunch of you were working on it, but it is just very nice and very well done, colorful, and it fits the age group. It, it fits it perfectly. Well, thank you very much. We're, I'm definitely super excited. This has been one of my favorite projects I've done, so... Yay! Well, and so that'll come out in the next month, and keep an eye on... No, in the uh, next week. The next week, okay. Yeah. So keep an eye on your Facebook page. I'm sure it'll be announced there and everywhere. Yes. Yeah. All right, good. 
Well, uh, we're going to get to today's first guest. I wanted to also mention that you want to stay tuned for a bit to find out about a special offer from Horse Illustrated just for the listeners of this show. But first, we have a title sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Straight Arrow Products. Cuts, scrapes, and rubs are not an if moment, but when, when it comes to horse owners. A scooter gets a few of those, especially if we put them out with Nigel. I've actually... Nigel's twice the size of Scooter, and he, Nigel ends up with all the scrapes and bumps, and Scooter, my pony, does not get any. So that's a pony thing. Make mane and tail protect spray a staple in your safety and care routine when it comes to treating wounds or bacterial infections. The Easy Trigger Spray Bottle makes treatment quick and painless for both horse and rider, while its antimicrobial properties give the power to ward off infection-causing bacteria. Keep the safety check nerves at bay with mane and tail protect spray. Well, our first guest is Kogi Long. She's president of Equine Affair Incorporated. Kogi has more than 18 years experience with the company in a variety of areas. She manages the extensive program of clinics, seminars, and demonstrations, and coordinates performers and production of the nighttime show called Fantasia. She competes in dressage and trains and breeds warm bloods at her farm in West Mansfield, Ohio. When she have time for that? I don't know when she has time to do that. Let's find out. Well, hi, Kogi, and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, my relationship with Equine Affair goes back a long time. You guys started in, if I remember right, like 92 or 93? Uh, first event was in 1994, correct. Oh, I, I, knew it was, yes. I knew it was in the middle. <laughs> I think the first time I went was like 95 or 96. So, uh, okay, And then I've been there many, many times when I used to work for retailers. We used to set up there uh, in Ohio, and uh, it was so much fun. And I... I haven't been there in recent years, but I can imagine it's only 10 times bigger. It's, it is a large event. Um, it's certainly grown back from the, the 90s into what it is today and certainly expanded. Um, we originally were in Dayton, as you probably experienced right. in the 1995, um, and then moved to Columbus and um, really take a majority of the fairgrounds there, um, just encompassing all the different facts facets of our event, um, from retail to education to a little bit of competition, entertainment, and everything in between. And charging people's credit cards millions and millions and millions of dollars over the years. Buying stuff. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they can find anything and everything in the trade show. So um, That'd be a, an interesting okay, number. I wonder if it's hit a billion dollars in sales over the years between both shows. It's got to. Horse <laughs> people I, I know how to spend. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. Every dollar well spent, though. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Especially, you know, you do the Massachusetts one later in the year, too, which I've had the fortune of being too many times. And that one, because it's so close to Christmas, is, is shopping Mecca. It's crazy. Yes, yes, certainly, certainly. Ohio usually kicks off the the show season for everybody, so they're they're getting ready in that regard. And then certainly in Massachusetts in November, we're we're definitely seeing the the pre holiday season splurges. All right, let's go over the details. So you're going to be Columbus, Ohio, for Equine Affair, April seventh through the tenth, right? That's correct. Yes. All right, and are there any? I mean, is it is it full on this year? We don't have to worry about COVID. We're just doing it. 
It is, correct. Yes, we okay. are um, full steam ahead. Uh, no restrictions in terms of attendance numbers or other things like that. Uh, we do have a, a list of health and safety protocols and recommendations listed on our website, um, so people are familiar with um, extra safety precautions that we're taking, but um, certainly everyone is welcome to attend, and we're looking forward to really bringing everyone back together for a fantastic event. And I'm looking, one of the things, uh, there's several things that happen at Equine Affairs, and one of the things that happens is a lot of demonstrations um, and seminars, and I'm looking, you've got Craig Cameron, Warwick Schiller, Lynn Palm, by the way, 90% of your list here has been on our shows over the years. Um, you know, you've got <laughs> English and Western, and you have Bob Giles coming. He's been a regular guest in ours, and he is he is a fun driver if you want to see driving, because Bob talks very loudly to his horses in competition. Um, so yes. you can yes. hear him from two miles away as he's coming across uh, and doing marathon. You hear Bob coming. Um, and mm-hmm. he does a great demonstration, working equitation, just... You have minis, you have buglers, all kinds of stuff. We do, we do. We have the the full gamut there, um, really catering to as many different disciplines as possible and and providing something for for everyone. Um, And even if you kind of hone to one discipline, it's always fun to see another one and, and maybe you can pick something up from another discipline that works in your discipline as well. I mean, and you even have, I mean, you're, you're going, you're, I know it's got to be hard to find new and different things every year, but you have mounted police horse training this year. You have a mini drill team, which I've never seen. Um, just donkeys, all kinds of different things. Yes, yes, it is. Um, it can be challenging coming up with, with new things each year, but um, uh, we're very fortunate that we're able to kind of scout those things out and, and bring those to the public and, and let people experience it and and see it uh, firsthand when they come to the event. Are you doing the nighttime show? We are, yes. Our Fantasia show will take place on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evenings. So um, it's going to be a, a fabulous production, um, as, it, as it always is. But we really have a wonderful lineup for the spring and can't wait to show everyone what we have in store. Now, is that a separate ticket for the nighttime show? It is a separate ticket, yes. Um, so Fantasia is basically sold by the seat, and then everything else for Equine Affairs is just a general admission ticket during the day. And the adult four-day ticket looks to be what about fifty bucks? I mean, it's cheap. If I mean a, a, a daily ticket's like fifteen, so uh, mm-hmm. it's really nothing. To, you'll spend a lot more than that on stuff you're buying at the stands than you do getting it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, the, the exhibitor, exhibitor certainly hopes so. So, um, yeah, no, we, we try to keep the um, admission low and affordable for everyone so that they really can have the, the experience of enjoying the event and taking advantage of everything that's contained within it. And there is a ton of hotels in that area, so you don't have to worry about finding hotels. I know we've stayed in a few of them over there, um, and it's easy to get to. There's a highway right there. So, it, you know, if you're anywhere up in the northeast, you can get to Columbus pretty easily. Yes, it is easily accessible, um, really located centrally in Ohio, and easy access to the airport, to the highways, um, and as you mentioned, lots of options for lodging throughout Columbus. Um, We obviously have our list of host hotels that we work with on our website, and a majority of those do offer a discount if you mention that you're coming with Equine Affair. Uh, However, you do have to book usually by early to mid-March in order to take advantage of those discounts. Okay, so let me ask you the question for somebody coming the first time. What kind of tips do you have for somebody that's never been there? 
Sure. Planning is a good thing. Um, Probably I would start off first with looking at the educational program schedule and earmarking the sessions that you would like to attend and then kind of build your day around that. Um, There's once you know which venues you're going to go to, um, look at everything else that's within that building and kind of plan your schedule. I would say wear comfortable shoes or boots um, for lots of walking and um, really just just try to plan your day out and give yourself ample time to, to take everything in. Um, the trade show is very expansive, so there are lots of vendors to see. We have I think well over 300 for the Springs event, um, just in the retail section of it alone. Um, and then in addition to that, there will be horses for sale and on display, um, horses for adoption, and also our breed pavilion. So there are lots of different aspects that um, you'll, you'll want to certainly take in and, and take a look at as you're making your little journey through Equine Affair. They used to have... Um this is years ago, they used to have a breed section where they would have, you know, representatives of different breeds. Do you still do that? We do, yes. That is one of our most popular areas for people to visit, especially if they're they're new to horses or just wanting to learn about the different breeds. Um, we'll have a wide variety of breed associations um, participating in that with live horses on display with their booths. So it's really a neat area where you can see the horses up close and also their representatives to ask questions or, or learn more about them firsthand. One of the things I recommend for shopping for first-timers is when you – now, you may not agree, but this is – I've set up booths there many, many times and worked there in booths many, many times. And one of the things I do recommend is kind of look around. Take a first gander around, especially if you're staying for a couple of days. Take a first gander around. If you see a sale on something that you're afraid is going to run out, get it. But otherwise, if you're shopping for something, especially like a saddle or something major, take a look around, compare prices, and then make your decision and come back. Um, most of the vendors will be able to, if, if, you know, if it's a saddle or something like that, they can even order it for you. Uh, but, but, uh, kind of take a look around. The problem that people have is they tend to spend all their money in the first booth they come to, and then they go, oh man, I wish I hadn't, you know, I wish I'd waited. (laughs) This is over here. It is tough because, you know, if you have going in with a budget, then I just recommend one kind of trip through, but then, you know, allow some time to go back, make some notes because you'll forget. By the way, if you see that thing, especially more expensive items, if you see it at a certain booth, write it down, put it in your phone, because you're going to forget. There's too many booths. You you will forget where it was. And write down which building it is and which row it's in, Um, because that's the other thing. You're going to come back and go, oh, I don't remember where that was. Uh, Can you tell I've (laughs) done this before? (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) that is a a well-seasoned participant. So, yes, yes, no, that is a fantastic tip for, for people that haven't come for the first time um, and or would be coming for the first time. It's it's a lot to take in, and it is easy to get yourself turned around and not exactly remember where you came from or which exhibitor you were visiting prior to that. So having your, your notes is a, a fantastic um, idea for people to get the most for their investment. Now, the other thing, too, is if you're – there's a lot of booths there that supplements and things like that that are smaller booths. They're not the super large ones, um, like a rods and those kinds. So if you go to the smaller booths with supplement companies, they usually have – they're very well-trained people there. So you can ask questions. You can learn a lot at these booths, too. So don't be afraid to do that. That's why they're there and they want to help. 
So if you have questions about health or things like that, that's why these booths are there. And spend some time with them, and they are usually more than willing to talk to you. So definitely it can become an educational thing, not just in the seminars. That's the other tip. If you if you hang around after the seminars, usually the clinicians will – now, the bigger names, this is tough. But uh, some of the other clinicians that aren't quite as big a name as Craig Cameron uh, will have time to talk to people after, and you can hang around and talk to them too. Uh, so, you know, don't be afraid to do that either. They're human. I'm just saying. Yeah. That's yeah. always my favorite part. Yeah. It is, it's neat. They, they are human, and they are down to earth in terms of wanting to help people who are interested in learning more. So um, they, they'll be happy to talk. They'll be happy to point you in the right direction to learn more um, or even follow up after the event. So there are lots of opportunities for, for networking and, and learning more, as you said, not just within the educational program, but through the exhibitors and the, the representatives there in all aspects. Now, you've been there quite a while working with Equine Affair. How has the event changed over the years? A lot of the elements are the same, and then also some of the elements have evolved. Obviously, um, the the industry itself has evolved, so I would say some of our, our topics and presentations have kind of catered more to what the current industry is featuring and, and kind of promoting. Um, at the same time, uh, retailers still have, find a lot of value in participating in the event and, and really connecting with those that are looking for their products or services and, and building their business and, and kind of creating more business for the future. So um, I think there, there are a lot of things that are the same just in terms of really bringing the industry together and, and networking and educating and that type of a thing, but then also looking at um, just in the, the regular community how things have evolved from anything from technology to new products to um, different ways of doing things. Now, you uh, also have horses yourself. Do you want to share with our audience about uh, what you do with your horses and a little bit about your experience? Sure. Everybody always loves to hear about people's horses. So. Yes, yes. Well, it's, it's always fun to share about them as well. Um, currently, I have about six warm bloods at my farm um, with my husband, and I ride dressage, and my husband rides jumpers. So we, we kind of dabble mostly in the English categories, but um, always keeping our, our feelers out and the tabs on the, the Western disciplines as well. Um, growing up, I rode primarily dressage, a little bit of competitive trail in there, and then my parents also had a horse-powered cider mill, so um, we used Norwegian fjords to actually press our cider, and it was kind of... Wait a, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that is really neat. Explain that. So what was that? <laughs> sure. Well, growing up, my parents had a horse-powered cider mill, so in the fall, we would basically press apples into apple cider. The horses um, provided the power for lowering the press and raising the press. Okay, so was and, it like a circle? The horses would go in a circle and that would raise and lower the press? Press? Yes, that's correct. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's so neat. Circle. It was a large circle, but um, yes, yeah, so that was my, my job in the fall and was walking the horse to, to press the cider and um, interact with the public that was watching as well. So How was cool is that? Unique, um, <laughs> unique opportunity, yes, for sure. Do you drink cider anymore? Or are you sick of it? <laughs> I do, but I'm I'm a little bit particular on on which one I I gravitate towards. So. 
<laughs> has to be fresh. None of this fake stuff yes. with chemicals. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it has to be horse powered. They're probably limited now. <laughs> well, that that is hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is That's fantastic. True. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's equineaffair.com. Remember that it's coming up in April. It, I always remember it because it's always like two weeks before uh Kentucky Rolex, right? Uh, Land Rover. Yeah. It's always like two weeks before, mm-hmm. and a lot of the vendors head from you down there. That's where we would Correct. deliver our trucks from there down to uh, Kentucky. But uh, yeah. thank you for joining us. Go get your tickets now, especially if you need hotels. Go do that right now, too. Don't put that off. Thanks a bunch for joining us. All right. Thank you very much. We'll see everyone in April. And this episode, again, is brought to you by title sponsor Straight Arrow Products. With Cowboy Magic's Green Spot Remover, you can do more of what you love and spend less time in the wash stall. Cut bath time in half with this waterless shampoo for a quick grooming solution while saving water at your barn. This easy-to-use sprayer bottle is the perfect tool when looking for a quick clean before the show or before a leisurely ride. Green Spot Remover is a plant-based waterless formula that is safe to use on all coats, not just for grays. The natural enzymes will remove manure and urine spots without drying out the skin and coat. The best part? It only takes a few easy steps to use. Learn more about how to use and where to purchase at CowboyMagic.com. And also, that special offer we talked about for podcast listeners, we have special rates posted on the website at HorseIllustrated.com. For the Horse Illustrated magazine subscription in any format, print, digital, or a combo of both. Plus, if you'd like to get that other publication we were talking about, the Young Rider magazine, you can get that too. And that's a magazine for tweens aged 8 to 15. So check out the website at horseillustrated.com slash HRN. Horseillustrated.com slash HRN for special rates designed for you guys, our podcast listeners. Our second guests are Emily and Sarah Harris, the sister duo of Sisters Horsing Around, which has a mission of providing fun, engaging, and educational content on horses. These equestrian guides want to help non-equestrians explore the amazing world of horses and help equestrians broaden their interests in different disciplines through their content on their website, YouTube, and on social media. They've adopted four American Mustangs, and we're going to try to follow their journey here on the Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Mornings. Well, welcome back to the show, Emily and Sarah. You get the honor of being the first repeat guest on the Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Morning. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. so honored to be repeat guests. Thank you. Well, we were wanting to have you back because we wanted to follow your exciting journey with your Mustangs. And I know we um, briefly touched on them when we uh, talked with you all for our sixth episode, which if everybody didn't catch that, it would be, you can find it at horseillustrated.com slash podcast six. And you can see our first interview with Emily or not see it, but hear the first episode with Emily and Sarah. And can you tell us a little bit about your, um, your four Mustangs and kind of how they came to be with you guys? Yes, ma'am. So we got the first three in August, on August 13th in um, 2021. And actually, it was on a Friday. So a lot of people might be like, oh, my goodness, that means like bad luck day. But actually, it has turned out to be so amazing. So we went to Doswell, up to Doswell, Virginia, 
And we got our three Mustangs, which is um, High Hopes, which is Emily's, and then my two, um, Blaze and Wildfire and Bold Faith. And having them has been so, so amazing. So then in December, we heard about the Mustang Tip Challenge. And so I was like, you know, I've really, really, really wanted to do it because this was my last chance to be able to do it as a youth. And so I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to give it a shot. So on December, on December 3rd, we went to Pikeville, Tennessee, and we picked up my force for the Mustang Tip Challenge. And her name is Deletha. Yes. And the Mustang Tip Challenge is going to be at the Equine Affair in Columbus, Ohio. Ah, that's what we were just talking with the president of Equine Affair, getting a uh, preview of that event. So, oh, my gosh, how exciting to be able to to do that. Um, What all is involved with the tip challenge? So the Mustang um, tip challenge is so 50 youth and adults will have 100 days to train and gentle a wild Mustang. So or burro. Yeah, a wild Mustang or burro. Well, this, well, this competition is just Mustangs. So the youth are ages 8 to 17, and they're able to train horses once two, two years old. And adults are ages 18 and up, and they can train a horse of any age. And there are going to be three preliminary classes. And then after those classes, the top 10 will move on to the finals. And then they'll, you know, have a freestyle competition. Now, from some I think I've seen in the past, like people do really creative things with their horses. Yes, yes yeah. we are. <laughs> like, yeah, are, you, are really exciting. <laughs> are you planning? You don't have to give it away what you're going to do because it'd be fun to <laughs> see the surprise. But are you doing um, planning like some cool little things to do with Talitha? Yes, ma'am. I am. So, do you all, like, are two of the horses, like, Emily's horses and then two Sarah's? Or do you kind of both work with each one? Or how does that work? So, I have Blaze and Faith. And when we got to Letha, it was like, she was kind of going to be mine. And then Emily ended up really liking her. So, I was like, okay. After the tip challenge, you know, you can have her. So yeah. now Emily has two Mustangs and I have two Mustangs. With, with the Mustang tip challenge, it was a draw. And with this particular competition, they asked for the comp- the contestants competitors. to pick a certain number of horses that they would like for their draw. And then they would pick one of the horses out like of that draw. Assign a horse based on your pick. Yeah. And oh, wow. The horse that we got actually ended up being one of the ones that I suggested to Sarah to put in her list. And so um, I was just like, oh, wow, this is a horse that I actually really liked and really wanted. And I was like, Sarah, come on, aren't you excited? I was like, oh, my goodness, because I was just like, wow. And um, because she ended up being one of the ones we had hoped to get. And when we got her, she was so sweet and we had her in the trailer and I was, t- I was already touching her just because I was like, I can't believe we got this little horse and she's coming home. And she was super sweet. And I was just like, Oh, I love this horse already. Which, I loved her as soon as I saw her. Which her nickname is sweet tea. So sweet tea. That's cute. I like that. <laughs> so um, how's it been? What's it been like working with them? And, and what, what's been the most challenging part of it? So, 
all four Mustangs have very, very different yes. personalities. Talika, since she's like a baby, all she wanted was a friend. So she immediately opened up. I mean, the second day I was had a, her tag off, which is like her um, number tag, which, you know, says what her, you know, freeze mark is. Mm-hmm. And I had her haltered and I was leading her around. She was like so ready to just be with people and have a friend. Then with Blaze, he took a little while longer because he actually took the longest. He he did take the longest because he was, you know, fresh out the wild. You know, he had just been gelded. And then he was like, he still had like his, you know, wild, like loner kind of like stallion mentality. So he kind of just wanted to be left to himself. And so my mom just told me, you know, persistence overcomes resistance. So just kept at it and Finally, he opened up, and so he's, you know, grown to trust me, and he, he's, you know, he's pretty chill with Emily, you know, he's just, he just hasn't opened up to the rest of the family, so he's like, you know, he's kind of like a one-person horse, so Mm -hmm. um, I have sat on him, and I had my first, you know, I guess you could say, I guess kind of like mini ride. I didn't actually walk around him. I just sat on him for the first time. And it was a week before Christmas because I was like, my goal was to sit on him before Christmas. And he did so unbelievably well. He was so cool headed and level headed. And he took it so well. I literally cried when I got off because I was like, he did so amazing. (laughs) And um, with Faith, you know, her, she's kind of like, you know, she trusts people and, but she's kind of like, she really like has a herd mentality where she just wants to be with the other horses. Yeah. She's, she's a chestnut filly. So that chestnut temperament is in her. <laughs> she can be moody sometimes. Some days she's failing it. Other days she's like, nah, leave me alone, please. I need a day off. And with Hope, she's, she's very similar to, Talitha, she is super sweet. She's in your pocket, literally, pr- pra- practically <laughs> in your pocket all the time. She wants to be touched and loved 24-7. She'll follow you around. And she is practically bomb-proof. She's very independent. And everything we put, we throw at her, she's just good with it. Now, do they all... Are all your horses in like one herd or do you have them kind of split? And how did the Mustangs kind of integrate with your other horses? Oh, <laughs> they're all put together. So we have one like big field. And originally I wanted to keep my horses separate from Emily's horses because I mean, it'd just be easier to like sort them out. But until we can, you know, separate, separate the fields, they're all together. So when we yeah. first put blaze with the herd he just did not want anyone to be near him he yeah. was like chasing off everybody he was like when he got to the hay bale he was like this is my hay bale everybody leave mm-hmm. i'm the only one who should be eating here and it was like it was we quite- had to kind of like let him into the herd slowly because he yeah. was like we didn't want him to hurt our other gelding because you know he was the top dog, and so having this other, you know, new, younger gelding come in, he was like, oh my goodness, I have now, I have competition, so. Yeah, it was really, it was, we would have to section off t- time and days off for mm-hmm. the for the two geldings. For an hour, we would let Blaze out and then put him back, and if we, we did that for a couple of days, but the other three, 
we we was it didn't take long for us to be able to put them with the rest of them. The biggest thing was just them settling out their differences mm-hmm. because it was like you had the two we had our two top horses. The domesticated horses were more civilized in, you know, how they interacted with each other. And then you have the Mustangs and they're like, you know, hardcore wild, like, you know, <laughs> in the ears, bucking, all this other stuff. The others they'll just like, you know, bite and then they'll be over it. But yeah, the Mustangs man. I have never seen horses kick as much as I have seen the Mustangs kick. I'm like, they they are like literally wild when it comes to being with the others. And it was it, it took a long time for our two oldest horses, Rowdy and Amazing Grace, to really settle down because it was so new having these wild horses and bringing them here. It took Amazing Grace and blaze a very long time before they even started acting civil i mean there would be days we just hear them screaming at the top of their lungs fighting each other over the fence because they was just like you had blaze he had a strong personality he was like you know i'm the boss and amazing grace was like i run the show here (laughs) my rules and Rowdy would sit back and he'd watch Amazing Grace and Blaze and he'd be like, don't you hurt her. But then he'd be like, you know, don't hurt me in the process. <laughs> so it took them a long time. But now they're they're settling down and they act civil to some degree. <laughs> I wish we could know what they were saying to each other. That'd probably be entertaining. So, you know, when these first new horses come in and, you know, yes, your horses are like, what do you mean you've never had a halter on? Or what do you mean you've not done this or that? You know, <laughs> So that's so fun. I bet they've been teaching you all a lot. Uh, what's what's one of the things that uh, they've taught you? I'll throw that question out to Emily. Yes, yes. So really, it's been an absolutely amazing journey and adventure with the horses. And I would say that the thing that the Mustangs really taught me was how to use different techniques be able to switch up your techniques a little quicker than you do with domesticated horses. Because these horses, I mean, they're starting from ground zero and you're having to not only train them, but get them used to people too. Because I mean, with domesticated horses, they see people all the time. Wild Mustangs don't. So it was really interesting how there was like with my two horse, with my two the process was a lot different than with Sarah's too, just because um, of their personality differences. Like even still, I mean, the trust is something that you really have to have there because me and Blaze, we'd be looking at each other through the side. I'd be like, don't do anything. <laughs> but the other three are just like, you know, you walk up to them and it's like, wow, you, you really have come along in a way that um, it's, you know, at times it seemed like it was going to be impossible. So really the persistence thing is something that I would say was really tested for me because when we first got hope, she was so independent. She didn't want to have anything to do with us people. And she would see us mess with faith and just touch and rub on her. She's like, wait a minute, you're letting this person touch you. Are you sure that's all right? And then once she came around, which was it, took me about a month to get her to come around she was like oh I like this thing and she just (laughs) completely blew past faith as far as progression after that first month she was just like ready to do everything with me and I was like oh wait wait I mean you could slow down (laughs) 
<laughs> it's all right to take things slow, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting how they just go from wild to mild and how they just change. It's almost like a, maybe a light bulb going off. Yes, ma'am. It was really a light bulb. And once that light bulb went off, she was fine with everything. Well, so at this point, um, let's talk about the, the four horses. Sarah, where are your horses, your two at, at this point? So my two, Faith and Blaze. Blaze, he is kind of at the point where it's like, you know, he's kind of solid and like leading, you know, being groomed. And he's at the point where, you know, I can kind of tack him up and he's still afraid of the western saddle it's like every time he sees he's like oh my goodness that's a monster but he's fine with like you know things like a bareback pad and he's you know pretty chill with like walking around the property and he's um as far as it comes to other people he does not like my brothers my brothers are like aliens to him (laughs) as soon as they come up to touch him he's like wait I don't know who you are. Get away from me. You know, leave me alone. But as far as me and Emily, you know, he's cool with us. And in his training, like, he, I think his favorite thing to do would just be, like, walk with you. He's just, like, really good at leading. And he just, he's just, like, when you just walk with him around the property, he just, you know, he just, like, becomes so mellow. And he, like, you know, just loves to be be with you and just walk. Mm -hmm. The training differences between... The other three Mustangs and Blaze is that Blaze he will do, do anything, anything for, for a, a treat. treat. <laughs> anything. The way that his heart was through food. Like, I would, like, when we first had him and I would try to touch him, I would have a bucket there. And as he would eat, I would touch him. And that was the only way he would let me touch him because he was all into food. Now, when it comes to training, if he does something right, he's looking at me like, oh, can I have a treat now? You know, I did good. Let, let me eat. So <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the only reason why he's okay with me. Like if I walk up to him, he's like, um, are, if do you, you have, don't a have a treat? We're not cool. He, he bets everyone. If buy a treat, if you have a treat, he's fine with you. If you don't, then he's like, um, this is a two way street. What is it in for me? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we know where his heart's at. What about Lisa? <laughs> How far do you have her at this point? So Talitha, she has come very far in the short amount of time that we've had her. So she's doing lateral work, like side passing. She can do turn on the forehands and turn on the hind quarters. And she's really, really responsive to things like backing. And the plan is to start teaching her, like, you know, tricks, like, you know, laying down and, you know, bowing and stuff like that. And she's like, she has a really like eager to learn mind. So mm-hmm. training her has been really, really easy. Like when I first taught her to side pass, I mean, after a few like, you know, commands and like showing her how she was supposed to do it, she had it like on a dime. Yeah. So with the Mustang tip challenge, everything is going to be in hand. So I've just been, you know, really working hard on getting her like responsive to things like, you know, stopping and backing mm-hmm. because that's like, you know, the judges are going to be really judging on how responsive and in tune the horse is. So, Talitha, we've really been working hard on getting her responsive to, like, my cues and, like, my aids. And she has come a long, long way. And she's yeah. doing really, really good. Yeah, one of the things I noticed with Talitha is that um, she, when she was in the pen before we got her, she would do everything everyone else did. 
So I told Sarah, I was like, if you could tap into that, you would get, you would go a long ways with her. And Sarah's been able to tap into that and Talitha will mimic everything. If Sarah runs, she will run. If Sarah's walking, she'll follow. (laughs) She'll do everything that she does. And so she'll walk into a lion's mouth at the axer. She is that willing. (laughs) It sounds like she's going to do really well at this tip challenge. And uh, I know they've been keeping you busy. Uh, but you also, uh, I want to mention, you all both have um, a new website that you yeah, launched. Really. And it looks great. So, oh, thank uh, you so people, much. People can go to sistershorsingaround.com and check that out. And I know we gave you all, I mentioned earlier in the show about uh, we're launching the Young Rider website. So, you know, everybody's hey, been working on websites. And, <laughs> yes, uh, what did you all think of the Young Rider website so far? Oh, it looks amazing. It looks so, so good. I was like, wow. Oh, my goodness. I love the style, the design, everything, the content. I could look at that website for days. I mean, that's so great. Well, y'all were one of the few to get a sneak preview. So we'll be launching (laughs) soon and super excited. But um, people can learn more about your horses on the website. We'll also have some information in the show notes and uh wanted to thank you guys very much for coming back on the show and we'll have to check back in with you guys to see how the horses are coming along in a month or so well thank you thank you guys our next guest is eric bendick a director producer and writer who has led filming expeditions in wild places such as the florida everglades the grand canyon the Great Bear Rainforest, and the most remote spot in Yellowstone National Park. His work has aired on PBS, National Geographic, Smithsonian, and the History Channel, as well as streamed online. His productions have garnered an Emmy, Webby, and numerous other awards and accolades from major film festivals around the world, and we will be talking today about PBS's show, Nature, America's Horses. Well, welcome to the podcast, Eric. It's so great to have you on, and it's perfect timing right before the launch of the documentary. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, you guys. So to kick off, let's talk a little bit about what Nature's America's Horses focuses on and and features sure. within it. You know, the, the story of American horses... Um, actually predates America itself. The evolution, the, the show kind of picks up um, at the start with the long, long evolutionary history of horses in North America. And so um, we kind of launch into really give people a, a portrait, uh, paint a picture of how the horse came to be, how the horse evolved on the North American continent. And then pretty quickly, we talk about how horses disappeared in North America, which is another interesting chapter in their relationship with this continent, and then how they came back. And then uh, we we talk the rest of the show about some of the most quintessentially American horse breeds with names we all know, like the American Quarter Horse, the Appaloosa, the Morgan Horse, and uh, of course... The horse that kind of started it all was uh, was the Mustang, the first horse to return back to the Americas. Uh, so, so it's kind of a, a big, epic, sprawling show. I think it has a lot for 
people who are curious about horses and curious about their natural history. And it may just show a, a piece of horses and a piece of their history here that most people don't know. I got to see a preview and it, I think it did a really great job of just showcasing each of those breeds and kind of their evolution and their importance to America and the development of the country, you know, throughout history. Uh, what, how did you all go about choosing? There's many different American breeds. How'd y'all go about choosing those four? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, you, you know, it was incredibly daunting to have to choose. There are now over a hundred registered breeds of Equidae in the United States alone. And, um, actually that diversity is kind of unparalleled, um, anywhere in the world. So it was not an easy task to narrow this down. We had one hour So we knew that we needed um, really to focus our efforts on horses that participated in really singular moments in American history, kind of help build the nation or or kick things off. And then we also wanted to showcase horses that had a really unique natural history story, uh, a natural history element that we could showcase and that we could do so really vividly. Um, and really bring that to life for people. Um, and, and truly, you know, we love and acknowledge that there are so many important breeds and that people from all across different backgrounds and different horse backgrounds have these special relationships with these unique breeds. So we don't mean to leave any out. Um, And hopefully we'll get a chance to film another episode like this with a whole new group of uh, signature horse breeds. So this may be just a kickoff. Ultimately, we did narrow it down to these these primary four, and we did so consulting with a lot of experts in, in this field and really taking into consideration how we could move through history and tell uh, a really unique story. Well, I think y'all pick some great ones and yes it sets y'all up perfectly for a sequel so what was your biggest challenge in filming this you know i think that actually selecting which horses to profile was one of the biggest challenges we faced there was a lot of question about how to narrow down that field uh, which horses to focus on which ones were the most illustrative of of this piece of natural history. But I would also say that circumstances around the filming were incredibly challenging at times. Um, You know, we filmed, the project was launched right before COVID. And then, so we had to roll and adapt and, and change our ideas for filmmaking as we went. And we were really fortunate to be able to work with some incredible partners um, in the filming of this. And they were adaptable too. So as you might imagine, with all those moving pieces, um, some of the challenges were very simple, um, as in how can we show this horse depict this piece of natural history behavior to the best of our ability? And some of them were much more complex, like how do we get a crew of 10 folks across the country and do so safely and interact with a dozen more people um, to film a recreation like we did with the the Morgan horse and sort of set all that up while, uh, you know, the backdrop of COVID was happening. So that was kind of the two 
main challenges that I think we face. Well, and you also had a full watch in there, which was a beautiful scene when, and I won't share which breed, but we'll let people be surprised. Mm-hmm. I imagine that was challenging oh, that too. Was, <laughs> that was so special and so challenging. And, um, we had a cameraman, um, embedded, his name's Andy Mitchell. He lives up in Middlebury, Vermont, and he was, uh, instrumental to us pulling that off. Hopefully that doesn't give away the breed there, but he was embedded with uh, the farm there and he did not sleep much over the course of that full watch. There were a number of close calls and capturing a true foaling like he did was absolutely incredible. And then we flew in right after the, the birth of the foal and really told the rest of the story. I've been so, on a few yeah, full so watches and let me things. tell you, they always seem to have the baby when you go to the bathroom. That's, that's oh right. yeah that's right. oh yeah <laughs> it yeah. never worked out we, well for we me actually <laughs> we actually had heard that this had been tried at the at the farm um by three other film crews and none of them had been successful so <laughs> we lucked well, out congratulations <laughs> they gave him some so, depends and told him to go in there and sit until the baby's born that's it you got two right. weeks <laughs> we hit we, we hit the full jackpot and we actually were able to name that foal as well. Oh, cool. Um, they asked us to help help in the naming of that foal. Um, and so Aww. that was really special to us as well. I got to ask you, when you're doing a film like this, and you've been a filmmaker for how long? Uh, about 20 years now. Okay, so that you can answer this question. How much of a godsend are drones for you? They are they are an amazing piece of technology and I think that, you know, modern filmmaking, especially documentary and, and nonfiction filmmaking, has really been elevated by the drone. Um and, you know, we use it all the time. It's it's not without some um occasional uh questions i've i've definitely uh had a few drones crash one of them crashed into a swamp while we were filming oh no Um, didn't get that one back the alligators ate that one (laughs) oh yeah that one was long gone by the time we reached it and uh and so you know you kind of live by the drone then you you die by the drone it's like one of these things you love to have that tool and you you need that tool um to make these kind of big emotional um, transitions. Um, and at the same time, sometimes we as documentary filmmakers rely on drones almost too much. So Mm. you have to remember that we, we still relate to things through our eyes and, you know, you have to make sure you're not over reliant on that technology to tell the story. Um, but it's, it's a really beautiful tool and especially some of these scenes, um, of, you know, wild herds and basically large groups of horses on the landscape. Um, I think that the the film would not be what it is without the without the use of that technology. So we appreciate that so much. And there's so many um, interesting things that you can do with lighting. And our Appaloosa herd that we filmed was up against the backdrop of this huge thunderstorm. Um, and we had no idea that how we were going to use that footage when we originally filmed it, but it turned into a really beautiful and, and kind of poetic moment with this herd against a, a huge thunderstorm rolling across the plains. So, well, you've done a lot with uh, wildlife 
videography and a lot of a lot of different projects. How did you get drawn into this one? And was this your first uh, horse-related project? Well, it's super fascinating. And I was just recalling right before our conversation that for there was a point, probably about eight or nine years ago, um, which was one of the first projects uh, I did, which is which was about um, a, a ranching and conservation project here on the on the high divide, which is the border of the continental divide between Montana and Idaho. And it was amazing because these were ranchers, you know, in the style of, um, you know, the 19th century who were still doing what they do on the landscape. And, and that landscape and the conservation benefits of that landscape was so amazing to see for wildlife, you know, things like grizzly bears and um, trumpeter swans and these just like very majestic wildlife living in amongst cattle and cattle ranching. And so that was kind of one of the first eye-opening things where those two interests of mine, really two passions came together, which was, you know, wildlife and horses. And ever since that moment, um, I've had five or six projects, all of which have involved horses. And um, some of them have been using horses to cross a landscape like we did uh, on a project called the Wild Divide in the Florida Everglades. And then others involved uh, showing various aspects of ranching and how that was good for the landscape and, and how it helps preserve wildlife. And so this feels like almost a culmination of all these projects that have been um, part of uh, part of our work for the last 10 years. And I got to say, I, I really appreciate um, the care and love that horse people bring to, you know, to their work and the responsibility they have to both for their animals and then for kind of the, the world around them. Um, it's a really beautiful relationship and I, I hope we get to do a bunch more because, um, why break the streak now? It's been a good, uh, decade of, of, of projects involving horses. And this is, this has really been a special one. We did a great job, um, just telling the story and it's just beautifully shot and horse lovers will totally gravitate to the story that's told and whatnot. So, I can't wait for them to be able to watch it. What that's can you a, tell everybody how to, to how to watch the show? Absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to. So you can tune in this Wednesday. Uh, that's February twenty third. It will be on PBS. Uh, the series is called Nature, and um, Nature covers a whole gamut of subjects, and a lot of times their their focus is on wildlife. So. You know, we're showing parts of the natural history of the horse world as well as the human culture um, in American horses. And um, after it airs on PBS Wednesday night, it will be available to stream for several weeks on the PBS app. And that's accessible um, via downloading that app. And you can usually download it via, you know, Apple's App Store or any of these, um, any of these 
places uh, where you download your normal apps, but it, it, it will be free and available for several weeks. And I really look forward to hearing from everyone and hearing what everyone's favorite part of the, of the film really is. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And I can't wait to see more of your work over the years. So you'll have to stay in touch and um, share any other things you're working on. We'd love to. We'd love to. Thanks for the conversation. Um, Hope you all enjoy the show. And uh, yeah, there's hopefully a lot more to come. I do love talking to producers because they're so passionate about what they do because they have spent years doing one film, which which blows my mind, you know, because we record and it's edited and it's out the next day. They spend years doing a film. And we're going to put a link to the PBS website exactly where this is. Check your local listings, though, because PBS does have different times for different markets. So definitely check your local listing. Set it up to record. Just search uh, on your DVR for America. Uh, what is it? Uh, name again? Nature uh, America's Horses. Nature America's Horses, and you'll find it and set it up to record. You're all going to want to check it out. All right, that's it. We want to thank our sponsor first, Straight Arrow Family of Products, makers of Mane and Tail, Cowboy Magic, and exhibitors with over 100 years of grooming excellence. For more information about your favorite products, visit straightarrowinc.com or find their products at any tag store. They all have them. And Horse Illustrated can be found at horseillustrated.com. Find the links to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com or at horseillustrated.com slash podcast. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with the free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Thank you, Glenn, for another fabulous show and happy reading and riding. <laughs>